You're listening to audio from Highland Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. To find out more about Highland, go to www.hbcwaco.org. Amen. You can be seated and good morning to all of you and happy Memorial Day. Pastor Jared said it well and said it wisely, but certainly today we do remember and honor uh, women and men who laid their lives down that there might be peace in our world, that we might experience freedoms here, even in our nation uh, today, this very moment. Several weeks ago, we began a, a series called Change My Mind, and I began with the statement, it was kind of a foundational statement. I just want to repeat that statement uh, to you again, and here's what we said as we began this series. Christians, our soul has been changed by Jesus, but our flesh battles us constantly. And that battle takes place in the mind, that the battleground, the battlefield for that tension is, is in the mind. So if you're a follower of Christ and you're, you're a Christian, you're in Christ, established in Christ, um, your soul has been rescued by Christ. Uh, Paul might call it his inner man, his inner person. Uh, the Bible might call this your, your heart. Um, change. You, you've been redeemed. You've been saved. You've been rescued. And so if you're in Christ, you know that to be true about, about your spiritual estate. Like that, that, is, that is who you are in Christ. You are changed. A brand new person. But also all of us in, in this house and all watching online, we fully understand this because we have experienced it probably many times in the last 24 hours. We also have lusts and passions, and, and, and appetites, and, and desires. The Bible might call it the, the flesh. It's just constantly pressing against us. These constant temptations to, to be ungodly, to live outside of God's best, to walk outside of, of Scripture's best for us. And that battleground always takes place in the mind, which is why we've been talking the last several weeks about about asking God to to change our thought processes, to change our mind, to change the way that we think. Now that's a little simplistic of a statement, but but it's not incorrect. Because it is true, it is vital that we learn how to think biblically. It's vital that we learn how to think rightly Today, I want you to know it's, it's vital that we learn how to think wisely. So if you're a copy of God's Word, would you go with me, please? We're going to do this differently today, but would you go with me, please, to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. It's the seventh book in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians. And if you get there and go to chapter 2, uh, which should be right in between chapter 1 and chapter 3, so it should be easy for you to find. Let's go to chapter, chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians. I want us to do something a little bit different today. Do things differently today. I want to give you a few moments to read all of 1 Corinthians chapter 2 on your own. It's just 16 verses, so don't, don't pass out. Don't get upset. It's not going to take you that long. Just 16 verses. I want you to read 1 Corinthians chapter 2 on your own. But as you read it, so here's the instructions. As you read it, would you look for words that repeat? or for forms of words that, that repeat. And if you see some words that repeat, and you will, you can underline them, you can circle them, you can just remember them if you want to, you can highlight them. Now, let me, just, I, let me say this for some of you especially. I'm not talking about words that have three letters in it. So I don't want you seeing, oh, here's the word the over and over again. That's not, that's not what I'm talking about. So words that are not pronouns, and I'll just give you the parameters. Any word that's more than three letters, that's, that's the words I'm, I'm looking for. So I want, you to give, I want to give you a few moments to look for repeating words. 
And because Protestants always panic when there's silence, we're going to have some music playing as well. So you can have some music behind, behind the reading there. And so once you look for, thank you, Ray, for that, you're also going to see the scripture on the screen. So if you don't have a Bible or you, your device is almost out of battery life, then you can see this on the screen as well. And, and just for you to know, it is totally legit for you to ask people around you, especially if you're having a hard time finding repeating words. So there's not, this isn't a test or anything. There's not gonna be a grade given on this. So if someone's looking over your shoulder, like don't hide your work from them. It's okay for you to kind of share, like here's, here's what I'm discovering right now. I guess what I'm trying to say, brothers, men, it's not a competition. That's what I'm trying to say, I think, to all the guys in the room today. So let's take a few moments. I'll stop interrupting you. And let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter two and just read it on your own, looking for words, that repeat. Thank you. 
Thanks, Ray, so much for giving us some music by which to read. It was eerily quiet just then. In the 8.40 this morning, it was bring your crying baby to church Sunday. Like there were babies crying everywhere. I was like, my gosh, what is going on here? So it was oddly quiet just then. Chandler, were you in both, both gatherings? I just lost you. Where'd you go? Were you in both gatherings today? It was like babies cried everywhere at 8.40, right? It was wild. Yeah, it was like we're in a nursery or something. It was, it was bizarre. So did you notice a word that was repeated uh, multiple times, particularly in the first portion of, of, of the text? It was the word wisdom, right? It was the word wisdom. We saw it over and over again. We saw it in verse 1, in verse 4, in verse 5, in verse 6, in verse 6 again, in verse 7, in verse 13. Seven times in 13 verses you see the word wisdom repeated. Uh, just, you know, it's kind of informal Memorial Day weekend. How many of y'all saw wisdom in there several times? You can raise your hand. Good. Oh, man, what a brilliant congregation we have. So then in the second half of chapter two, uh, what word or form of word did you see over and over again? It should have been the word spirit, right? Uh, let's see. We see spirit with a capital S speaking of the Holy Spirit. Chapter four, this is not chapter, but verse four, verse 10, verse 10 again, verse 11, verse 12, verse 13, verse 14. Then we see the word spirit with a small s in verse 11 and verse 12. Then we see the word spiritual in verse 13 and verse 13 again in verse 15. Then we see the word spiritually in most of your translations in verse 14. So you have spirit or a form of the word spirit 13 times in, in 12 verses. So how many of y'all saw the word spirit there? Let, let, okay, man, Straight A's for all of you. Congratulations on, on, on that. So it's pretty clear then, and oh, there's the crying baby here. I, I, we knew it'd be here somewhere for, for sure. That's awesome. Crying babies, by the way, are unbelievably welcome at Highland. I never want to pastor a church where it's just all, not old people, but all people who don't, don't have babies. So crying babies are a gift from the Lord because babies are a gift from the Lord. You know what babies do? They cry. And so that's an awesome thing for us to have crying babies at home. I'm not complaining at all. I love them. I love them. So it's pretty clear that 1 Corinthians chapter 2 is about spiritual wisdom, about wisdom that comes from, from God's spirit. So what we're going to see today very clearly in this passage is the difference between thinking with godly wisdom and thinking with, with human wisdom. And there is a very clear contrast between the two. So let's just walk through together in God's word. You might have a pen or pencil with you, a piece of paper. You just kind of pay attention if you want to. Let's see, first of all, how scripture here, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, gives us the characteristics of foolish thinking. Here's what it looks like to, to be foolish in your thinking. Number one, it's living to impress. Look at verse one. And I, when I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech, or with wisdom. You know, the curse of the life, by the way, that just lives to impress people, you know the curse of that type of life is that you're always having to think about other, what others think of you and, and, and how you're, you're dressing and, and how you're fitting in and what your status might be and how many friends you have or how many people might, might know your name. That's the, the curse of living a life that's always desiring to, to impress. You know, do I fit in? What do other people think about me? It's foolish, it is foolish in, in your thinking if your constant, constant attention is given to yourself. And you're always thinking about yourself. The constant focus is on yourself and what you have instead of who God is and, and what he has. In fact, Paul was just the opposite of, of living to impress. Look, look at verse 3. 
and, and I was with you. This is, this is fascinating. I was with you in weakness. I was with you in fear. I was with you in, in much trembling. Paul was just the opposite of trying to live to impress. It is foolish thinking when we're living to impress. Here's the second characteristic of foolish thinking, pretending to be strong. Let's just read verse 2 again. We'll move on to verse 3 as, as well. Or verse 2 for the first time. Verse 3 again. Verse 2, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Verse 3 again. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and with much trembling. So Paul was saying here, I wasn't trying to be somebody that I was not. I just wanted you to consider Jesus. I just wanted your, your heart and your mind to be all about Jesus. I wanted you to see God's strength, not my strength. And so I came to you in weakness. It is foolish thinking, pretending to be strong. Here's another characteristic of foolish thinking, talking beyond actuality. Talking beyond your, your spiritual reality. These are people who try to persuade with words, but there's no power in their words because there's no power in their life because their life is all walk. Excuse me, it's all talk and no walk. So by, by flowery, impressive sounding words, this is the person that's trying to be someone that they're actually not in reality. It's, it's, like, a, it's like a baby with power tools. That the power you're referencing is bigger than anything you've experienced. It's bigger than anything you can even handle. This is what Paul is talking about in verse 4 and in verse 5. In my speech and, and even my message, they were not implausible words. In other words, they were kind of, it was kind of awkwardly spoken. They were not plausible words of, of wisdom, but instead it was a demonstration of the Spirit, capital S, the Holy Spirit, and of power. Verse 5, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Talking beyond your spiritual reality, talking beyond your, your spiritual actuality, that's foolish thinking. Here's a fourth characteristic of foolish thinking. It's rejecting God's truth. It is a foolish thing to push back on the word of God, to push back and not receive, but instead to reject God's truth. You can jump down to verse 14 if you want to. The natural person does not accept the things of the spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he's not even able to understand them because those things, the word of God, the truth of God are spiritually discernible things. And so it is foolish thinking to reject God's truth. A foolish person would, would push back on God's truth but would accept solely the wisdom of, of this world which is pride and which is, which is supposed power. The foolish person has no room in their heart, no room in their mind to, to receive and to bring in the truth from God. It's a foolish thing to think that you have your life figured out without God. For the younger people in the house and watching, and I'll let you determine if you're younger or not. You can put that title on yourself. I've seen this over and over again in a younger generation because I also one day was in a younger generation. There's a tendency in our lives to think that we have everything in a young generation figured out. I don't need God to tell me what to do. And kind of sad thing is that tendency doesn't go away. So for the older generation, I'll let you determine if you're part of the older generation or not. Often we convince ourselves that we know best that we know better than what God's best is for our lives and we reject his truth and sometimes equally as bad as that, we just ignore his truth. 
We're, we're not re- receiving God's truth. It's a foolish thing. It's a foolish thinking to, to reject God's truth. That is foolishness. It's interesting in verse 14. It says that the things of God are folly to a fool. It's the same word used back in chapter 1, verse 18. If you want to go back one page or just let your eyes, perhaps it's on the same open page, chapter 1, verse 18. We see that same word used for the word of the cross. It is folly. There's the word again. We see it in in chapter 2, verse 14. We see the same word in chapter 1, verse 18. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. The the word folly in Greek is uh, moria. And moria is also the same word for madness or for, for downright silliness. And so it is madness for those who reject God's truth. Even the, the cross is madness to, to those who are dying. It is, it is silly talk for those who are perishing. But for those who have been rescued by Jesus, the cross is the power of God. Just think about this with me. When the Gentiles heard that a Jewish man died on a piece of wood, on a nondescript hill outside of a nondescript portion of the world, And his death determines the eternal fate of all mankind? They thought it foolish. They thought it madness. They thought it silly. Highland, if Christ is crucified as a stumbling block to the Jews, if Christ crucified as folly to the Gentiles, how absurd it must sound to Americans. We're so filled with pride and so filled with the lust for power. And here's a man that has gone to a tree to die for us and all of eternity hangs in the balance? I mean, take a well-dressed, nice, articulate American man. Has a good job, big house, drives a nice car. Uh, take an American woman who, who loves the independence of her thinking on, on anything, including God. And take them outside the city and take them to the garbage dump. And let them see a naked man hanging on a cross with blood dripping from his form. And tell them this is the son of God. And in this man and this man alone you will find life. He is your judge and your Lord and your king. Most Americans would roll their eyes. That man, that woman probably would roll their eyes. Or they'd feel sorry for him and just move on with their own lives. Or they might do what a lot of cultural Christians do in America today. They give lip service to the man, but they just kind of live their own lives. The natural wisdom of this world sees God's truth, God's word, Christ as king, the cross of Christ. They see it as folly. They see it as madness. They see it as, as downright silliness. But ultimately, that arrogant wisdom and that foolish thinking is doomed to pass away, which is exactly what God's word says to us in chapter 2, verse 6. Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom, although it's not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. Then who's the fool? What about wise thinking? What are the characteristics of of, of a woman here today or a man here today that desires to to think wisely? Here's wise thinking. Number one, wise thinking is dying to self and dying to status. Verse five, again, 
so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Paul is saying here, this is not about me. It's not about my status. It's not about my power. We see the same in verse 13 of chapter two. You've read it already. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Holy Spirit. Interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. This is Paul saying, this is not about me. It's not about my words. It's not about what I bring to the table. Paul is thinking wisely when he says, I will gladly be last place. Paul is thinking wisely when he says, I will gladly lay it all down. I will gladly be less that Christ might be more. This is the same man that wrote and believed, for I've been crucified with Christ. Therefore, I no longer live, but Christ now lives in me. In this life that I do live in the flesh, I live by faith, faith in the Son of God, the one who loves me and gave himself up for me. This is wise thinking, dying to self and dying to status. What else is wise thinking? It's centering all on Jesus. Centering everything on Christ. Friends at Highland, do not boast in your nice status or your nice success or your nice house or your nice job. What Paul would call that to the church at Philippi? Rubbish. It's the Greek word skubalon. And since we're in church, here's how I'll translate it today. Dirty diapers. Sorry, parents. Poop. It's, it's what Paul said of all these successes that we try to gather in this world. But boast in Jesus. Look at verse 2. I love verse 2. Paul says, For I have decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. He is our life. Everything revolves around Jesus. Any adult here today, any student here today, any child here today that says, Christ is my life, they are living a life of wisdom that crucifies pride, that crucifies the struggle for power, that crucifies self, the, the wise, they trust not in their own power, but supernatural power. The wise don't trust in the power of their flesh, but the power of the spirit. The wise trust in the name of the Lord and not their own name. Wise thinking, how else is it clarified for us and characterized for us in this passage? It means receiving God's truth. If a fool rejects the word of God, if a fool rejects the truth of God, then a a wise man, a wise woman will receive, will bring in God's truth. Look at verse 7. But we impart, Paul says, a secret and and a hidden wisdom of God. Now, don't let that confuse you. Speaking of the wisdom of God or the full revelation of God that was partially hidden in the Old Testament, but look at the rest of this. We impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God which God decreed which God decreed before the ages, and I love this little prepositional phrase, for our glory. Verse seven, God decreed. What the Bible is saying here to us is that God has spoken to us. He has decreed messages for us. So the Bible that you have before you or even the the smartphone that you have pulled up in your Bible app in front of you right now, it's not just information about God. It is a word from God. So this week when you sit down and open up God's word and oh, I hope you do, you are spiritually malnourished if the only time you open up God's word is on Sunday morning. 
Open up scripture this week. Open up God's word this week. And as you open up God's word this week, you're not just reading information about God for everyone. You're reading a message from God to you. You see, if you understand that, it'll change the way you read God's word. It will even give you a deeper longing to be in scripture this week. I think I do this every Sunday. I hope I do this every Sunday. I desire to do this every Sunday. I think every Sunday when we come in here, I will say a phrase very similar to this. Would you open up your Bible, please, as we go to, and then I'll give you the reference. If I stop doing that on a Sunday, go to another church. Let's go to God's word. Let's go to this place and see what God has to say to us today. We go to God's word because we've not come together. You've not come here today to hear the wisdom of John Durham. That would be a colossal waste of your time. Trust me, I know. No, we've come to hear a word from God. What my job is is simply to share God's word with you. In other words, I'm, I'm not the chef. I'm just the waiter. Here's the feast. Here's God's word. Let's gather around it and see what he says to us today. What is wise thinking? Here's the fourth and last characteristic of it in this passage. It is walking with the Spirit. Let's go to the crux of this passage. It's, it's kind of the meat. The heart of chapter 2 begins in verse 8. None of the rulers of this age understood this. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is Written. Now, let me give you a little warning. We're about to go into verse 9, which is one of the most misquoted verses in all of the New Testament. What we're about to read is not about heaven. This verse is used in funerals all the time. It is a bad application of, of this verse. I would rank it up there with, I can do all things with Christ, means that I can kick the winning field goal against the other team that has Christians on it also. That's, this is a poor application of, of Scripture when you look at this and, and think, man, this is all about heaven. And I'll tell you why. You, you don't know it's not about heaven until you get to verse 10. So here's verse 9. But as it is written, and so he's going to go all the way back to Isaiah, pause and go back to Isaiah, what no eye has seen nor ear heard nor the heart of man imagine what God has prepared for those who love him. A lot of people go, see, that's heaven, that's heaven. No, no, look at verse 10. These things God has revealed to us. It's not about heaven one day. It is that God has revealed these things to us through who? Through the Spirit. Through whom? Through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. And verse 11 is about you. For who knows a person's thought except the spirit of that person? In other words, what you're thinking right now, no one knows but you. No one understands yourself better than yourself. This is what Paul is saying. For who knows a person's thought except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received, this is good news, not the spirit of the world, but we have received the spirit who is from God that we might understand the things freely given us by God. Look at the benefits here, church, of walking with the spirit. God reveals things to us. Verse 10, how? The spirit searches the thoughts and the heart and the thinking and the mind of God. Verse 10, verse 11. Then the spirit tells us God's thoughts. Verse 12. Who here would not want, verse 12, to understand the things freely given to us by God. Sisters and brothers, you're going to need the Holy Spirit to bring you the wisdom of God that you might think wisely. 
Now, let me be very practical because I know some of you come to church just for three points and I want to get out of here. So let me give you three points. Here's practical three points. Walking with the Spirit means these three things. Time listening, time in Scripture, and heart surrendered. So Christian, first of all, you have to believe upon Christ to receive the Holy Spirit. And then if you want to walk in the Spirit, it's going to mean three, absolutely three easy things to understand, three difficult things to live out. Time listening. And that means, let me say this with as much mercy as I can muster, you're going to have to close your mouth and turn off all the noise around you and be still. In quietness, listening. It's, it's, it's Mark um, chapter 10 coming alive for us. Excuse me, Mark chapter 1 coming alive for us. Jesus went off to a lonely place. And he sat and he, and he talked to the, to, the, to the Father. He was by himself in a quiet place. So if you're going to walk with the Spirit, you're going to have... I'm a planner. I'm a scheduler. I see my wife back here. She's probably nodding her head and amening right now. I, I love a plan. If I'm going to spend time with God, I'm going to have to schedule time with God. I'm going to have to carve out that time to be quiet. Here's, here's the second thing. You're going to also not only time listening, but time in Scripture. Who gave us God's Word? The Spirit. So if you're just sitting in quietness, I mean, unless my brain operates completely different than your brain, I'm going to just start thinking things to myself. When I sit in quiet too long, I start planning my day. I start having imaginary conversations. I start trying to remember some of the words from my favorite songs back in the 80s. Like my mind just kind of goes, goes everywhere. And so it's not just time listening, it's time with God's word open. So that relationship aspect happens. You're listening and the Spirit's talking to you through his word. But here's the third thing. It's a heart surrender. And I think the best way to do this is to say, God, before you tell me anything, my answer is yes. I already surrender. I already say yes to you. You're my Lord. You're my King. Whatever you're going to require of me today, however you're going to ask me to obey today, however you're asking me to give today, to share today, my answer, oh Lord, is yes. That is a heart surrender. Let me just say this also in great love. There's no substitute for those three things. There's no shortcut. And those three things are not legalistic because they're relational. It's pressing into the Spirit of God. I'll wrap it up with this. There's two great things graced to you at salvation. We've already seen that earlier. The Holy Spirit, but also verse 16, the mind of Christ. Two great gifts of grace that you received when you believed upon Jesus. You received the Holy Spirit and you received, verse 16, the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ. And so if you've come to church today after a very discouraging week, let me give you a very encouraging word. You lack nothing, daughter of God. You lack nothing, son of God. You have been given everything you need to walk in wisdom. You've been given everything that you need to think biblically. You've been given everything that you need to think rightly and wisely. God has given you these two tools to bring change to your mind. You have the Holy Spirit and you have the mind of Christ in you. So sister and brother, you have more than you know, which is why you can think wiser than you do. You've been given everything for life and for godliness. You've been given these two internal things, the Holy Spirit and the mind of Christ, but you've also been given two beautiful external gifts, God's word and look around you, God's people. 
And all these things operate together that we might live and think wisely. God has given us everything that we need. We can think wisely. So let's end this series where we started it six weeks ago with this statement. Every step toward godliness and every step toward sin begins with a thought. It was true in the last 24 hours of your life. If you chose a godly response or a a righteous attitude or you chose to take on the character of Christ, the the, the nature of God, the godliness, the, 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 the word means, the nature, the characteristics of God. The only way you got there was a, a thought that began there. But also take inventory of the last 24 hours of your life. When you chose rebellion or, or, or anger or self-centeredness or arrogance or pride or sin, ungodliness, unrighteousness, it always began with the thought. You will never do what you don't think about first. You'll think about it and you'll move toward godliness or you'll think about it and then move toward ungodliness. Every step toward godliness, toward ungodliness, toward sin, toward rebellion always begins with the thought. So let's move then from think do to think stop. Do or don't do. I mean, all of us in this house, all watching online, we're think do people. We think about it, we do it. We think about it, we say it. We think about it, we react. We think about it, we write it down in an email, send it off to somebody. We think and do. But, but what if? What if instead we were just think, do people, we were think, stop? Stop is, is it right what I'm about to say? Is it right what I'm about to do? Is it godly? Is it wise? Will Jesus green light? What I'm about to think. Because I'm arresting that thought and bringing it to him first, I need to ask Jesus, Jesus, is this this the right thought? Because I'm going to do what I think. Is it lovely? Is it just? Is it commendable? Is it excellent? Is it worthy of praise? Is it pure? Is it right? Because if it doesn't match up with the plumb line of God's word, which is a mirror and a fire and a hammer... I don't want to do it. I don't want to think it. I don't want to say it. I don't want to react that way. I don't want to email that person what I just wrote down. What if we move from think do to think stop? Do or don't do. Oh God, by your grace, by your spirit you've given us, by the mind of Christ you have given us, will you help us to change our minds? Would you stand with me, please, and let's pray together. God, to accomplish these things, to, to think wisely and not foolishly, to think rightly, to think in a, in a godly way, not in an ungodly way. God, we're going to need your grace because we have tried and failed, tried and failed tried a little bit harder and fell a little bit harder. So God, we're going to need your grace. You're going to need to remind us every day that we have the mind of Christ. You're going to need to remind us every day we have the Holy Spirit within us. Everything we need for life and for godliness. And you've given us your word. And you've given us each other. Community. 
but we're still going to need your help day by day, your grace day by day, moment by moment. That's our prayer, God. You would change our thinking so that our behavior, our actions, our reactions might follow suit. Here's our hearts, Lord. Here's our lives. Here's our minds. Would you help us? We desperately need your grace. In Christ we pray and we sing. Amen.